0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now. Here's your host, Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We've talked a lot about the issues unfolding in Washington, D.C., and there are myriad. Joining us now to break down these issues is Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, Republican from the state of Iowa. Senator Grassley, thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm always glad to talk to the farmers of Iowa. Senator, let's start there. The farmers of Iowa got some bad news, particularly those hog farmers late last week as the Supreme Court upheld California's Proposition 12. As a senator from Iowa, what does that mean for your constituents?
2: Well, first of all, there was an unusual combination of Republican and Democrat appointed just that joined each other uh, in opposition and in favor of. Uh, You've got people like Clarence Thomas, Gorsuch, Soto, uh Kagan. Uh, the last two are Democrat appointed. The first two are Republican, and then a Republican appointed Barrett. They were they made up the five, and then you have uh, people that are uh, very conservative and one liberal that was made up the four that voted against it. I don't like the decision. It's bad. It can be corrected if you get enough votes in the United States Congress to overturn it. And uh, Senator Marshall of uh, Kansas has such a bill in, and I don't know whether he's got the bill in this session or not, but I'm sure now he's going to put it back in. And last year, I and Ernst and Cornyn and Hyde Smith uh, joined the efforts of Senator Marshall to make sure that Proposition 12 in California uh, didn't uh, didn't rule, and I don't agree with the opinion because I think that when you can't sell Iowa pork meat in China because I mean in California because uh, our, we use sow crates that aren't uh, 12 feet wide, uh, you know that it's uh, it's a heavy burden on interstate commerce. And that's why the Congress and the federal government can regulate interstate commerce, but Gorsuch said otherwise. And I'm going to quote exactly from his uh, decision: "Quote: The Constitution vests Congress with the power to regulate commerce among the several states. Although Congress may seek to exercise this power to regulate interstate trade of pork." and many pork producers have urged Congress to do so, Congress has yet to adopt any statute that might displace Proposition 12 or laws regulating pork production in other states. End of quote. And then an additional quote. While the Constitution addresses many weighty issues, the type of pork chops California merchants may sell is not on that list. So he, he doesn't dispute the fact that the federal government can regulate this, but the courts have found uh, that uh, uh, that California acted constitutionally. But if Congress wants to take action, uh, we can override that, and I believe that I we should proceed with the Marshall legislation.
0: All right. The fight on Prop 12 moves from the courts to Congress. Thanks for that update, Senator Grassley. Another issue that is on nearly every headline right now is this surge in immigration and the end of Title 42. Senator, agriculture needs labor. Is there some combination we can put together to improve things down at the border?
2: Well, uh, I don't think you can pass legislation just dealing with agriculture that's going to stop the, uh, the uh, unlawful entry of our country of illegal immigrants. Uh, the president has the authority to do that right now and he doesn't want to enforce the law. And I, as far as I'm concerned, he's not faithfully executing the law as the constitution requires. And uh, But if we could get up agricultural legislation by itself to provide labor, For agriculture and do it on a year-round basis instead of on a seasonal basis and we could leave the issues of uh, of uh, citizenship out of it uh, I believe that we could pass that legislation but I don't think that uh, Democrats are going to let us take up a bill just for agriculture without making sure that there's a path to citizenship for the people involved and uh, that's something that uh, that uh, that doesn't have bipartisan support.
0: Senator, is there any issue in the immigration front that does have bipartisan support there in Washington, D.C.?
2: Yeah, DACA kid Well, I think, I'd have to back up. i say say uh, this agricultural issue has some bipartisan support. There's a lot of Democrats would support that, but some of those same Democrats want citizenship, uh, a path to citizenship. And, uh, And that's kind of an impediment to getting something passed. Uh, But uh, on on what you call the comprehensive legislation, it's impossible to get uh, a bipartisan movement on a big bill because uh, the president's not supporting the laws the way they are. And uh, that's poisoned any discussion of comprehensive legislation here on Capitol Hill. But uh, agriculture workers and DACA kids could be passed fairly easy if we could just get that bill up and nothing else connected to it. But uh, that sometimes that's impossible to do.
0: We've got a similar not-an-easy task happening right now with these conversations around the debt ceiling. President Biden, House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy expected to meet together tomorrow. What does the Senate expect to see from these negotiations as they roll forward? What's a win to you, Senator?
2: A win to me would be uh, obviously increase the debt limit because uh, you you shouldn't shut down government. We never have. We never have defaulted, I should say, rather than shutting down the government. Uh, And uh, we should uh, uh, do that. And then for spending, uh, I would do what the House has done, go back to 2022 level of expenditures, Because the Democrats spent so much that you would, uh, last year, that increased uh, inflation. Uh, We we ought to get that money that was spent last year, go back to the 2022 level of expenditures, and then increase 1% for several years into the future.
0: All right. Watch for that. Senator, while this debt ceiling negotiation is happening, is it pushing the conversations around the farm bill to the back burner for this summer, at least for right now?
2: It seems to be, not because I want that to happen, but that's what the sec- uh, Secretary or Senator of the uh, chairman of the committee, says that it may be pushed to September. I wish it weren't, but I think she sees not having a budget agreement uh, with all of government expenditure. Then how does that filter down to how much we're going to spend on the five-year farm bill? She feels that you can't go ahead until you have those figures. I say just the opposite. Uh, We don't know what those figures are. I agree. But go ahead and write the legislation, stick in some numbers, and then when the uh, top line comes out on total government spending, dial those figures up or down according to what uh, we get to spend on the the five-year farm bill.
0: Folks, we've been speaking with Iowa's Republican Senator Charles Grassley. Senator, thank you so much for joining us today. Goodbye. Stay tuned. We'll have more AOA coming up after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart.
3: It's the most important race of the year, the one where winning is everything, where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with BioPath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line. With greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the Corn Sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit CornSprint.com.
4: In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416. For 24-hour response, call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416.
5: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today. And as Senator Grassley mentioned there in segment one, the debt ceiling negotiations are perhaps taking center stage in Congress right now as they get through that crucial deadline about keeping the government funded. But in the meantime, farm groups are continuing to press their issues on Capitol Hill's at hearings and in meetings with legislators about what they'd like to see in this upcoming farm bill. One of those groups that has been very active on D.C. recently, well, and always, is the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Joining us now is their CEO Mr. Colin Woodall, and Colin, thanks so much for joining us on AOA today.
1: Mike, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about
0: President Todd Wilkinson. Will be testifying in Congress this week. What's on his mind here this week?
1: You know, he's looking forward to talk about our priorities for the farm bill to make sure that Congress knows that we have to move forward in getting this farm bill bill done as, as quickly as possible because of all of the important provisions that apply to cattle producers, things such as preserving the environmental quality incentives program, EQIP and other conservation programs, making sure that we have the funding for all the levels of research, because the research is done at agricultural research service, economic research service and our land grant universities is so incredibly important to our success. Hitting the fact that we have to maintain funding for our foot and mouth disease vaccine bank, and also ensuring that great risk management programs like livestock risk protection are continued and are made even more available to producers across the country. So those are things he's going to hit on, not to mention talking about the fact the cattle market is looking a whole lot better than it was this time a year ago.
0: It is. It is a fun time to be a cattle producer, and it is an industry that has well-deserved a reprieve and some profitability, that is for sure. But, Colin, thinking of all of those issues that are impacting the cattle industry here in 2023, there's one that in the past couple of weeks we've started to hear the rhetoric heat up again, certainly one that impacts NCBA, and that's checkoff reform. We saw a number of of letters come out from uh, regulators or, or legislators last week, and what's your take here on checkoff reform as this OFF Act is discussed in D.C.?
1: So the OFF Act stands for the Opportunities for Fairness in Farming. And really it's a red herring. What this is really about is animal activists once again coming and attacking those of us in animal agriculture. When you look at the sponsors of this legislation on the Senate side, it's Cory Booker, who everybody knows is a vegan from New Jersey. He is being joined by Senator Mike Lee from Utah. On the House side, you have Nancy Mace, Republican from South Carolina, who is very active in the animal rights, animal activism network, as is Congresswoman Dina Titus, a Democrat from Las Vegas. So the one thing that all of them now share is that they are advocates for animal activists. And animal activists we know have been attacking us for years now because they just don't want people eating meat especially don't want people eating red meat. But the way that they have figured out that they can be successful in doing that is by attacking small pieces of our industry. That's why you see animal activists supporting things such as WOTUS, Waters of the United States. And that's why you see animal activists coming forward and supporting the OFF Act and really pushing the OFF Act because they know that the checkoff has been very successful over the years in promoting beef. And one of the reasons why we have the demand that we do right now is because of the success of the checkoff.
0: Now, Colin, I mean, to be fair, it's not just outside animal activist groups that are pushing the OFF Act. Rather, Uh, I know RCAF, one of the uh, cattle organizations, is pushing for it as well. And the argument I hear from some of the members is that the checkoff is effectively taxation without representation. What do you say to that?
1: You know, we hear that quite a bit. But we have to keep in mind how the checkoff came about. It came about as part of the 1985 farm bill. And then it went out for a referendum for every cattle producer at the time to be able to vote on it. And it passed with a um, huge majority of the producers. And over the years, the Cattlemen's Beef Board, which is the group that oversees the checkoff that is made up of cattle producers who are appointed by the Secretary of Agriculture to be on that board, they do uh, periodic surveys of cattle producers to see what they think and every time it comes back that the majority of producers support what the checkoff is doing but the thing that i think really drives it is there's a provision in the 85 act that established the checkoff that allows producers to request a referendum to see if they want the checkoff to continue And there was an effort a couple of years back where a petition process was set forward to get producers to sign that to force a referendum and they couldn't even get enough producers to sign the ref the uh, petition to get that referendum so that was a very clear sign that producers do support this and that um, they will continue to support it based upon the great work that it has been done we also need to mention that groups like our calf are associating themselves with these animal activist groups And we just have to ask ourselves, if you're really going to represent cattle producers, is that the crowd you want to hang out with? A crowd that is very clearly trying to take us out of the equation.
0: Colin, I think another question I'd have for you, specifically because there's been so much uh, pushback and I guess heated conversation about the beef checkoff, but the OFF Act is all checkoffs. As I understand in your conversation with the other commodity organizations, has there been much pushback from the other groups on the checkoff formations?
1: So you're right, Mike, this in, uh, this piece of legislation, the OFF Act, does impact every single checkoff that's out there. And what's interesting about the OFF Act is the things that it asks for already exist. For example, it says that... Um, Checkoff dollars should not be used for lobbying. Well, you can't use checkoff dollars for lobbying today. And that is audited by the Cattlemen's Beef Board and USDA. It says that the checkoff should not be used to disparage other agricultural commodities. You can't do that today. It says that the checkoff financials should be open to the public. Well, all you have to do is go to the Cattlemen's Beef Board and you can see the financials of the National Beef Checkoff. And it says that the Office of the Inspector General should do audits. The Office of the Inspector General can do audits today, so it's very interesting that all the provisions that are put in there are uh, really focused on things that already exist in law today. The only thing that is different is that uh, they want to take groups like NCBA that also employ lobbyists and prevent us from being a contractor to the checkoff. Now, NCBA is not the only contractor to the National Beef Checkoff. We are one of nine, and every year we have to go before a group called the Beef Promotion Operating Committee, which is Made up of cattle producers and asked to be able to do the projects we do. And if the producers on the OC like it, then they will fund it. If they don't, then we don't get that money. But one thing that we all have to recognize is that none of those dollars, whether it's our checkoff or any of the other checkoffs, none of those checkoff dollars go towards lobbying, period.
0: You mentioned, Colin, the Cattleman's Beef Board for folks who aren't connected to the world of of checkoff and animal research. Can you describe briefly the Cattleman's Beef Board and what it is they do with those checkoff funds?
1: You bet. So the Cattleman's Beef Board is the group that was put in place to oversee the checkoff. And right now it's made up of just right at 100 cattle producers. Uh, across the country. And these producers are nominated by their states. And then ultimately, the Secretary of Agriculture makes the decision on who gets to serve. And their job is to oversee the checkoff. So they make sure that all of us as contractors are doing the work that we said we were going to do, that we're doing the work according to the act and the order, and that we are using those checkoff dollars exactly the way that the act and the order lay out. And that's something that uh, I think Everybody who's listening to you who who is not aware of the cattleman's beef board needs to understand that the checkoff is not in CBA. We are not the checkoff. The checkoff is run by the cattlemen's beef board and the cattlemen's beef board is made up of producers. So the checkoff is not only led by producers, but the decisions are made by producers. And NCBA is just one of nine organizations that is a contractor. And other contractors include groups like the U.S. Meat Export Federation, uh, the American Farm Bureau Foundation, and also the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. It is a big group, nine,
0: as you mentioned, that can perform contracting duties there under the Cattlemen's Beef Board. We've been talking here with Colin Woodall, the CEO of the National Cattleman's Beef Association. And Colin, with regard to the conversation around the OFF Act in DC, what are you hearing from legislators? Is there, it does appear to have bipartisan support. I guess my question is, is it broad bipartisan support?
1: It does not seem to be broad bipartisan support at the moment. And that's one of the things that NCBA is doing is to make sure that we are keeping Uh, members of Congress from signing on or co-sponsoring the OFF Act in order to uh, ensure that these programs can continue as they were built and as they were decided on by the producers who built them. And we also are just making it very clear that while, yes, there may be some industry groups that are supporting it, the majority of the groups that are pushing for this legislation are animal activist groups. And, And why are they doing that? Why do animal activists care about the checkoff? Well, they don't. They really don't. The checkoff means nothing to them, but the checkoff has been very successful at building demand for beef, and that's contrary to what these animal activists want. They don't want people eating more beef, but yet the checkoff has done a great job of building that demand. That's why they're attacking it. They know that if they can hit it, that it makes it harder for people to eat beef, and that plays into their overall priority list.
0: Folks, that's Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Reminder, if you've ever had a flat iron steak, that was developed through checkoff funding. Folks, stay tuned. We'll bring our back our conversation on Prop 12 here when AOA returns. agriculture of america is brought to you by Senex maxtron synthetic diesel engine oil oil that runs smart join us every tuesday for around the table brought to you by chs as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
6: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, in the grain and oilseed trade, soybeans are under pressure here this morning, along with Chicago and Kansas City wheat. Spring wheat is holding on to some moderate strength with planting delays continuing across the northern plains. In fact, North Dakota just 20% planted for spring wheat as of Sunday. Meantime, corn at soybean planting in North Dakota, 5% and 2% complete as of Sunday. Nationwide, corn at soybean planting, 65% and 49% complete, respectively, as of Sunday. Corn, 20% ahead of last year, 6% ahead of the five-year average soybeans 22% ahead of last year and 13% ahead of the five-year average nationwide corn is down moderately here as we work through our early action overall just seeing pressure here a little bit of profit taking potentially in these uh, grain and oilseed markets and with also some stock market pressure creeping in the down 265 lower we had a big up day yesterday in grain so no surprise that we're taking a bit of profit here on the recent rally Now, over in the livestock trade, cattle futures are moving slightly lower here in the live and feeder trade early on the day. On Tuesday, we see uh, anywhere from about 10 to 80 cents lower in live and feeder cattle, while hogs are up moderately here in the early action, trying to see a little bit of follow through from yesterday's very strong day in the hog market. Crude oil is up just 10 cents a barrel here, 71.21, really just hovering around that level this morning. In the grains, again, uh, pressure for the most part. Corn, 6 to 10 lower. Soybeans, 15 to 25 lower with pressure in bean meal and bean oil. Chicago and KC wheat, 8 to 13 lower with spring wheat. Anywhere from unchanged to up around 5. We'll continue to watch planting progress. Also watching the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Will it get extended? The deadline is Thursday, and things are not looking good there. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
0: agriculture of america is brought to you by Senex maxtron synthetic diesel engine oil oil that runs smart
1: keeping america's farmers and ranchers informed on aoa now back to mike pearson Welcome
0: back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and the focus now turns to Proposition 12, the California law that has been debated in the courts for four years. Last year, got some certainty. It was upheld by the Supreme Court of the United States. And now to bring us up to speed on how this could impact the industry, we're going to be speaking with Eldon McAfee. He's an attorney with Brick Gentry, law firm in Des Moines, works closely with the Iowa pork producers. And Eldon, thanks so much for joining us here today. You're welcome. Glad to do it.
9: Well, let's Let's just say I'd rather be talking about a case that was in our favor, but uh, beyond that, uh, glad to get on with you. Thanks.
0: That is fair, Eldon, and I understand that, particularly coming from the perspective of the Iowa industry. Before we talk about the impact of this decision and how you see it playing out down the line, Eldon, let's talk about the decision itself. Neil Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion, but it was kind of an odd grouping. As Senator Grassley mentioned earlier in the show, who all was in favor of upholding Proposition 12?
9: Well, there were, uh, in the end, there were five justices who of a nine-member court, nine court, which is a majority, that ruled uh, to affirm what the Ninth Circuit found, and that was to dismiss the lawsuit. How they got there gets a bit dicey, and uh, uh, you know, we kind of got have to get in the weeds here a little bit. Uh, there were four justices led by uh, Chief Justice Roberts that clearly said it should be sent back to the district court, not dismissed, but sent back to the California district court to do what we call a balancing test. Look at the benefits. Look at the burdens on uh, producers, et cetera. Look at the benefits uh, for, in, for the state of California and determine is this in violation of the Constitution Dormant Commerce Clause, but there were only four that got there. But on various points in the decision, uh, Gorsuch didn't have a majority and, in fact, only had a minority on several, at least one. And the very one, he only had a minority, himself, Justice Thomas and Justice Barrett, that said courts aren't equipped to do this balancing test. It should be done by the legislature only had three justices that joined in that. So that wasn't even close. That was a minority. But then you go to the next step, and again, we're getting in the weeds here a little bit, so bear with me. Also, the courts have said, well, first, before you even get to do this balancing test, and and we all do balancing tests every day in our lives, right? (laughs) You you look at the benefit, you look at the burden when you make a decision. (laughs) Here, The first step, the court said, Gorsuch said, is, well, they have to show, prove in their petition, mind you, there's not been a trial here, that there's a substantial burden uh, on producers here outside of the state of California to comply. That's before you get to the balancing test. And four justices said, hey, they haven't shown that they've only have... They've only shown speculative facts. And one of the key points in Justice Gorsuch's decision was that, hey, wait a minute, some producers have complied. There's evidence in the complaint and in the amicus briefs that producers are complying with Prop 12 and producing Prop 12 compliant pork. Therefore, that was a factor in the court finding there wasn't a substantial burden for justices there. And what Gorsuch has said in a footnote is you take those four uh, plus the other three, and there's some duplication there, but that gets him to a majority. Uh, Justice um, Kavanaugh, in his uh, dissenting opinion, pointed out, "Now, wait a minute. You're in a minority on that first issue. It, it was this case has been described as a very fractured decision." And I think that's accurate. No offense to the court, but it is fractured. You got to do a little adding and subtracting to figure out who's in the majority on certain issues, who's in the minority, et cetera.
0: Eldon, if that's the case, this is a fractured decision with, as you mentioned, maybe not as clear cut a majority as it might look on the face. Does this open the possibility for future constitutional uh, complaints under Prop 12, or have we now exhausted kind of all of our avenues through the courts on this particular law?
9: Well, the, both the majority and there uh, I use that term. There, Justice uh, Gorsuch noted there are other constitutional provisions that could be used here that wouldn't rely on this discrimination principle. Justice Kavanaugh did the same thing in his dissent. And you know we had the the Constitution, uh, uh, of, you know, the 200 plus year old document. Um, uh, has privileges and immunities clause. Uh, and again, I keep saying without getting into the weeds and then I do that, but that clause you know, provides that every citizen of every state gets the same privileges and immunities of every other citizen of every other state. There's the import-export clause. And, and that is always thought to be foreign imports and exports, but it could be used for the states and then what we call the full faith and credit clause. That would require another lawsuit here to somehow get to the Supreme Court uh, for them to take a look at those. And they all said, not saying it would work, not saying it wouldn't, but just uh, let that door open. But I think the biggest door open we have here, two things. Uh, they, uh, they referred to, uh, hey, this, is, this balancing test should be something done by uh, the elected branch of the government, not the courts. And so uh, and I know you just mentioned you had Senator Grassley on. I know Congress is looking at this. Can uh, Congress step in and, and adopt some type of legislation that prevents states from adopting these types of laws that will impact pork producers in other states? And believe me, it isn't just pork producers who are looking at this case. Uh, a lot of interest in this case from other segments of our economy and and I've only talked to a few of them. Attorneys are reviewing it for manufacturers, et cetera, and they're concerned about the court's analysis here as to how it might be applied in other states. One so, Eldon,
0: more point. Just from a layman's yeah, perspective, ahead, if I might, just so I understand what this ruling has now allowed after the Supreme Court decision last week, now if the state of Oregon, for example, should decide that their cons- their constituents don't want any dairy sourced from a CAFO, which is currently a hot issue up in that state, they could bar that now that Prop 12 is law,
1: right?
9: They can make the argument and there I go as a lawyer saying the oh, argument. Yeah. But the point <laughs> the point the court was making here is it is clear under the dormant commerce clause that you cannot benefit your in-state constituents producers to the detriment of out of state. You cannot benefit in state and burden out of state purposely. And they said that was not an issue here. Uh, That was conceded as not being an issue in this case. So any state that tries to adopt a law that crosses that line of what we call discrimination uh, in the dormant commerce clause context uh, is is asking for trouble right away. But if they follow, follow the model, yeah.
0: Sorry. just so, so i understand in california they seeded that because it's going to be making pork more expensive in california right it's making their constituents lives worse at least when it comes to buying pork
9: and you know the court noted that specifically and said wait a minute californians voted for it if they end up paying more for pork they asked for it they voted oh, for it so yeah. that's a factor that court didn't even want to consider the question is what effect does this have on people out of the state of california Livestock producers who have to remodel facilities and consumers who may be paying more for pork, they didn't vote for Prop 12. (laughs) Californians did. And so there's a distinction the court made there.
6: That
0: is a really good point, Eldon. All right. So now from your perspective, working with so many producers in the in the Iowa Pork Producers Association, what comes next? I guess, A, is Iowa pork now from a non-approved facility barred in California or when do we expect that to take place and how are Iowa producers moving forward?
9: Okay. The, uh, by uh, by an order of the uh, California State Court in a different case with, brought by California grocers, restaurants, et cetera, uh, there's a stay on enforcement until July 1. So uh, by its terms, it goes into effect July 1. We're still not real clear what goes into effect July 1. Does it go into effect for any pork entering that at that time, or is it going to be for Uh, depend on when that pork was was born. I'll use that term. The pigs were born that became the pork. Keep in mind this only applies to sows in gestation. Doesn't apply to finishing facilities directly anyway. So what am I telling producers right now and others? I'm telling them stay in touch with your uh, packer. Talk to your packer, your processor, whoever's buying your pigs, and talk with them and make sure you understand what they are going to require i talked to a producer yesterday who had talked to his uh, packer and his packer said it's clear your pigs don't come anywhere near uh, california so right now he's not being asked to do anything differently because of prop 12. but i think the real concern look beyond prop 12. what i'm telling producers is what i've been telling them for a long time stay tuned We're a lot closer to having to deal with it, of course, but we're still getting some clarification. There is one lawsuit pending yet. Iowa Pork Producers Association actually has a lawsuit in California that makes some of these claims uh, that weren't in this case. We'll see how the Ninth Circuit, they'll rule on that in a few days as to whether that lawsuit goes forward. But stay tuned and stay in touch with uh, uh, with your buyer. And uh, again, what our real concern is, Mike, down the, uh, we have concern with Prop 12 now. I think we can, many producers will learn to deal with it or at least make sure they're not on uh, selling into California. But what are other states going to do that could lead to a real mess of patchwork regulations?
0: That is a great point, Eldon. This is step one. One state now uphold the ability to change what's sold in that state. We'll see what other states follow along, folks. We've been talking with Eldon McAfee of Brick Gentry Law Firm in Des Moines. Works closely with the pork industry. Stay tuned. We'll talk markets with Dwayne Bussey when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
3: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative
0: ownership. Today, we're talking about fly control tips for cattle with Heather Dykins, an animal nutrition consultant with CHS, and Brad Berg, a regional account manager with Central Life Sciences. Heather, why is it important to add a fly control supplement to cattle rations?
10: By adding a fly control supplementation, like Elvis said, we can decrease the blood loss and the stress and the diseases that they carry and that they pass on to the cattle with every time that they bite that animal. And that loss that we try to prevent is about a billion dollars a year. And so putting that fly control out, the main ones that people are going to know is pink eye and mastitis. And, And those are the two that we can decrease when creating a fly control program.
0: Brad, how do ingested fly control products protect cattle?
1: Altacid IGR is an insect growth regulator, and the technology is pretty simple. Altacid goes into a CHS mineral, for example. The cattle consume the mineral. It passes through into the manure and keeps any eggs that are laid in that manure from developing into an adult fly. Keep in mind, one female horn fly can lay up to 300 to 400 eggs. So without keeping that next generation in check, does not take very long to build up a huge problem with horn flies.
0: Heather, when is the best time to start controlling for flies through feed?
10: Depending on where you're located, it, it will determine on when you should start that process. In the spring, you want to start it before the flies appear. And so that's about 30 days before the last frost. And then we want to continue that until we hit the fall time and we had that first hard frost, but 30 days after that. So then we know that we're getting really good control before the flies are out and then after the flies are killed from the frost.
0: Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
7: Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today and now our focus is going to turn to the commodity markets. Looking at the grains, there is substantial red on the screen today. Soybeans down 18 in the new crop, 23 to 28 cents in old crop. Joining us now to break down these markets is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing in Britain, South Dakota. And Dwayne, what has happened here in the soybean market? I know it's kind of maybe an easy,
11: simple answer, but I think it's the correct one. I think it's a lack of bullish news after last Friday's USD report just has the bears in total control. I mean, we don't have a weather issue. We're not talking about prevent plant like I was worried we would a couple of months ago, and it just has the bears in total control, and the sell-off is running and pushed through some resistance areas, I mean, support areas and new contract low for November beans uh, below 1215. Now we're at
0: 1210. Yuck. Oh, boy. Dwayne, do you think that is going to hold this level that we're at right now? This has been an accelerated downward move this morning. It has. uh, I'm afraid
11: not. Even though we're down 31 in July beans, that's a nine month low. I'm looking at a gap down at 1355. That's another about 15 cents lower. To me, that's probably where we need to flush down to before we start finding some support i'm afraid
0: all right Dwayne. what well, you mentioned perhaps the market is growing a little less afraid of prevent plant of course you travel across the dakotas quite a bit are you seeing farmers make some progress
11: just starting to from the north dakota south dakota line north um but it so it we're behind obviously and have a narrow window to get the entire crop in but that window looks open though mike uh, the forecast looks pretty good this week Um, there will be some prevent plant northeast South Dakota, no doubt about that, but probably around that 2 million total nationwide, which is really what the trade is anticipating. So lower than a normal year, which is more that, you know, four to six range. So, so yeah, there again, there, there weren't that bullish story out the window. So it kind of makes it so the bears have control and they sell this thing off and Bones are quiet here which means farmers are busy out in the fields.
0: That certainly makes sense Duane corn wheat market's also down on the days this is a continuation of the same story. We just have no new news really to discuss.
11: Right exactly. I think the wheat market you know we rallied on the obviously poor crop in the southern plains and the Kansas wheat tour going on. I but I think we traded that the last week and a half in the Kansas City wheat market. I mean, we, we rallied a lot already. So that story is probably already priced in. It also sounds like Russia, Ukraine are still willing to talk. Um, they haven't reached an extension yet on the Black Sea Grain Export Corridor. But the fact that they're still willing to talk makes me and I think the rest of the trade think that something will get done, some sort of extension will happen before thursday night's deadline so i think that has the sellers in control there too
0: with that being the case given the selling we're seeing today already duane if we get that headline black sea corridor remains open pretty well priced in you're thinking right now yeah i wish i could say yes it it probably leaks a little bit more um so pull down maybe a little
11: bit more maybe some of those you know. 75, 30% retracement levels in wheat. So probably a little bit more back. Uh, Maybe we can get down to 8.50 in Kansas City, but so maybe another 20 cents, sadly, but then we'll probably regroup again and look at the weather, look at the U.S. winter wheat crop and go from there
0: try to find some compelling bull narratives to bring the price back to the upside well Dwayne, i want to put grains on the back burner for a second i want to turn our focus over to the livestock market specifically cattle yesterday we saw a powerful rally take place in the feeder cattle complex today we've got corn down feeders still up but only slightly but Dwayne, they're the only green really in the commodity complex here <laughs> what's your take in this feeder cattle market uh it still looks like a really strong market you know up a little
11: bit today even though the stock market down around 230 to 250 points a little bit of concern of the u.s debt ceiling going on which i'm sure it'll have to take till the 11th hour just to make it dramatic but that feeder market looks very strong to me mike and when you kind of put it all together from friday's report obviously the corn market doesn't look so great right so it looks like we're gonna have plenty of corn come fall assuming normal weather which we have right now so if we have cheaper corn Uh, you know, the premium guys are willing to pay for feeder cattle increase. And honestly, the the USDA report on Friday was very bullish for the livestock side of things. You know, they look like production is going to be down quite a bit on the live cattle side. Demand will be off a little bit, but still ending stocks decrease. So we just don't have the supplies. I, I think these back month feeders look very strong and I... I don't feel like it's only a matter of time until we take out that 245 life of contract highs.
0: Dwayne, I, I want to put some numbers into these conversations that we're having for folks who maybe aren't plugged into the cattle complex. Right now, we've got October feeders at 236, we've got NOV mm-hmm. right there at 236 as well, and you believe that's a buying opportunity, if I hear you right. Is that correct? No. Boy, now that you say it like that, it sounds a little crazy, but no, no, you're exactly right. I.
11: You know, I'm going to try to wait to buy on a dip because we have rallied here recently, but I, I think eventually that takes out the 245 and gosh, I, I don't know where we end up come fall. If we can get the rains in the southern plains and the pastures to rejuvenate these pasture conditions, you can see 260 feeders come fall.
0: All right, Dwayne. So that's one side that I'm sure our rancher friends would love to see take place. But if we're looking at 245, 250, 260 feeder cattle, plus we've still got corn in that four to 550 range. How how big a price tag are we going to need to hang on these fat cattle?
11: <laughs> right. Pro- probably higher will be the answer everyone's going to say. And it probably won't get high enough. It, it never really does anymore to just hedge on the board as you buy the calves. Right. But boy those back months there look very strong too and they looked just as strong yesterday february april back there february at 175 april's already at 178 wow i and those are nice prices there you know obviously probably doesn't look like it's gonna be too hard to get above 180 from there i I don't know mike that seems like a pretty high pretty crazy historic price to me there we'll we'll kind of see next april's a long ways off of course um you know supplies will be tight cattle market looks very bullish but Whenever I think of that far out in cattle, I think something gets screwed up and something wrecks it for us. So, right. some LRP insurance, some put options, probably not a bad idea.
0: Manage that risk that's out there. We know what one packing plant fire can do to the futures market. It can do it very, very quickly. Manage these opportunities that are out there, Dwayne. That is a really good point to be thinking about while we look out to the future. Folks, we've been speaking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. And, Dwayne, as always, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks anytime, Mike. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll dig deeper into the grain markets with Steve Nicholson of Robo Research. Be sure to join us then and have a great day if you're out there in the field. Stay safe, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow for AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
3: Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com.